quick disclaimer, it's a dark week with some stronger than usual violence. I mean, these were originally stories for children, but you might want to check out the post on mythpodcast.com before you let your child listen to it. This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories that put the Grimm and Grimm brothers. The first story is about why you and your roommates never want to mess with the house chore list, especially if you're a bird living with a mouse and a sentient sausage. And the second story is that of the robber bridegroom. But don't let the name fool you. He's way worse than a robber. The creature this week is a giant roadrunner-like bird who is not the cartoon roadrunner. And he's very upset about that. This is Myths and Legends, episode 166, The Dark Forest. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, there are two stories that take place in the dark forest, that dangerous, wild place in folklore. They're fairy tales that were collected and published by the famous folklorists, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm, in 1800s Germany. The first story today is that of three roommates, who are actually making it work in the dark forest until Bird decides to call a house meeting. The sausage looked at her two roommates, the mouse and the bird, over dinner, and smiled in a way that presumably a sausage could. Things, things were really good. Every morning... The bird would fly off and hunt all day for wood, while the mouse would fetch some water and build a fire. Chef Sausage knew food, because, well, she was food, and she would cook the vegetables or the porridge, jumping in the pan herself to grease things up a bit. The best friends would share dinner together each night and sleep soundly until the next morning. The medieval world was a hard place for a bird, mouse, and sausage, but the three had found something good. They found each other, and they were happy. Or they thought they were. One morning, when Bird ran into his friend, presumably also named Bird, the bird without a sausage and mouse at home making his meals was jealous. He said that it was nice of Bird to go out and do all the work, while the other two just stayed at home. The mouse doing some minimal fetching before relaxing by the fire, and the sausage actually napping in the frying pan to grease up the food. The bird not only risked predators, but he exhausted himself flying further and further afield for wood. The jealous bird slapped the roommate bird on the back. He should be going. What did they say about the early bird? Oh yeah, it was that he didn't have to be a servant for a mouse and a sausage. Peace. That night at dinner, the bird was silent. And the next morning, when everyone awoke and went about their jobs, the bird just stood in the doorway. You know what? No. The other two sat at home in warmth and safety while he did all the work. The mouse said that they did the jobs they were best suited for. The bird could fly above the forest and safely find wood. The mouse had these little paws so she could fetch water and build the fire. And the sausage was a greasy sausage. So her rubbing her slimy body all over the food made things taste better. It's probably best not to think about that last part, the mouse remarked. The bird said that regardless... He was on strike. He wanted the mouse's job today. The mouse didn't know what to say. 
she looked out the door. On the forest, where the foxes and wild dogs prowled the ground, and the birds of prey patrolled the sky. Before the mouse could respond, though, the sausage hopped forward, accompanied by a greasy squish each time she jumped. She said that she could see the mouse was afraid. And while what they were doing was working, maybe they were in a rut. She didn't want her friend, the bird, to feel like they had taken him for granted. The sausage said that she would do it. She would go out and gather wood for the house. The mouse, inspired by the sausage's bravery and willingness to try something new after so many years of doing the same job, took a deep breath and nodded. Sure, okay. She had watched sausage enough. She would try her hand at cooking. It would be okay. Five hours after the pair had watched the happy sausage hopping off into the forest, mouse turned to bird. It usually didn't take this long. Bird shrugged. Well, he was a bird that could fly, not a literal piece of meat without legs, arms, or any defense mechanisms. Then the bird stopped talking. You know what? Maybe he should see if the sausage needed help carrying the wood back. The mouse nodded. Yeah, that, that sounded like a good idea. The bird heard the weeping, and his blood froze. He dove through the leaves, and he saw it. The sausage was on the ground, crying, screaming for help. The bird shirked back. His friend was already half-eaten. The dog looked up from his meal and greeted the bird, saying that he found a sausage in the woods. How lucky was that? I mean, just a greasy, defenseless sausage hopping through the trees. She was out to get wood, but what idiot sends a sausage out to collect wood? She didn't have arms or legs and was a sausage. The bird stood tall. He was that idiot, and the sausage was his friend. Let her go. The sausage's face lit up. For the first time, she had hope. Uh, no, the dog said, and tore off another piece of the bird's friend. The bird said that he couldn't do this. This was murder. The dog shook his head. No, this was a sausage. But uh, you could see he was going to have some problems here. So then he remembered. He forgot to inform the bird about the charges. The bird cocked his bird head. Charges? The dog nodded. Yeah, charges. This was justice. He found forged letters on the sausage. So summarily executing her was well within his rights. The bird face winged. Okay, this is just getting ridiculous. The sausage was a sausage. She had neither clothes nor any way of carrying what? Forged documents? Also, were dogs like police or something? Judges? The bird asked if there was context here he was supposed to be understanding or if we're just supposed to roll with it. The dog said that this was a fairy tale, all right? Just chill out with the meta commentary and let him eat. The bird screamed that this was his friend. The dog couldn't do this. The dog sneered. He wouldn't have the bird questioning his official ruling. He gulped down the last of the sausage with one bite, nodded to the stunned bird, and then trotted off into the forest. She's dead. She's dead and it's my fault. The bird admitted when he came home. The mouse hugged the bird close. It wasn't his fault. 
it was a mistake. Mouse said that she should have been the one to go out into the forest, not the delicious, defenseless sausage. They all bore some responsibility for this tragedy. But you know what? Sausage had been the best of them. And she wouldn't want them hanging around feeling sorry for themselves. She would want them to carry on. The mouse looked at the bird. They were still in this together, right? The bird sighed and nodded. Yeah, they were still friends. And they would carry on. For sausage. Mouse patted Bird on the back. All right, well, they still needed wood for tomorrow. Bird held up a wing. Say no more. He would go. Mouse chuckled. Thank you. In the meantime, she would get dinner started, so Bird had a hot meal when he came back. They could eat and remember their friend together. Bird, mournful, said that it sounded like a plan. He flapped off for the forest. Mouse dropped the vegetables into the frying pan and seasoned them as she had seen sausage do so many times. And when they started to smoke, she pursed her lips before snapping her finger. Ah, that's right. Bird saw the black smoke coming from inside the house and swooped down, talons full of the wood he had collected. He fluttered inside and dropped the wood, and then he shrieked. Oh no. Aside from the rare Parisian rat that controls chefs by tugging on their hair, rodents generally do not know how to cook. Mouse only knew from watching sausage, so when it came time to grease up the pan, she only knew one way. She leapt into the searing pan and started rolling around, not realizing what a horrible mistake she had made until she was on fire. When Bird saw the smoking, charred lump that had been his friend still writhing in agony, he decided that he wasn't going to lose another friend today. He tried to grab the mouse, but the creature was too hot, so he did the next best thing. He gripped the pan's handle and threw the contents out on the floor. As the bird flew to his friend, he realized that she was too far gone. He was with Mouse when she breathed her last. The bird was beside himself with grief, and he held the burned body of the mouse, weeping. He was so inconsolable that he only noticed the smoke and the flames when the fire licked his wing. When he had tossed the mouse off the pan, the burning vegetables and the burning wood underneath the pan went with it, peppering the house with fire. All around him, his home was going up. In a panic, he grabbed the pail and rushed to the well outside. As the flames started climbing higher and higher, he realized that he didn't have time to lower the well bucket down with the rope. It was faster to dip Mouse's pail himself and take it back to the house. He flapped his wings and made it to the bottom of the well, and he submerged the bucket. And when he started to rise, he realized he had miscalculated. The bucket was too heavy. He couldn't fly with it. He would have to let it go. He would have to let the house burn. The bird let the bucket go, but the bucket didn't let him go. In his haste, he had accidentally snagged his talon on part of the bucket's handle. He was pulling, but he couldn't get free. Meanwhile, the bucket, now completely full of water, was sinking, and it was pulling the bird down with it. The bird fought for as long as he could, but soon the water consumed him. Through the water, as he drowned, he saw the smoke from the life he had built with the mouse and sausage 
burning it to ash. The moral of the story is, of course, that ruts are wonderful. Seek to grow or change anything ever in your life at your own peril, because the moment you do so, you are bringing about disaster for yourself and anyone you've ever cared about. The end. That's a terrible lesson, but if you think about it, there might be like a kernel of truth to it. In the hard world of the Middle Ages, you might want to be a merchant or an artist or learn to play an instrument or be a knight. Break away from being woodcutters or farmers or whatever like your parents and their parents and so on. You decide to break out of the role you were born into and you're killed by bandits or eaten by a bear less than a day out from your village. In the time when the wilderness was a dark and terrifying unknown, that may actually contain dragons, I mean, as far as the people knew, encouraging the youth to keep things as they are and not get crazy dreams in their head might keep everyone safe. Also, in those times, kids were basically your retirement plan because you needed someone to care for you in your old age. So you needed them to stick around. Unless you could marry them off to a rich guy, which is exactly what the father in the next story is trying to do. But that will be right after this. All right. Now back to the stories. Well, I find no fault with you, the miller said, looking across the table to the suitor. The guy had a feather in his cap, and he wasn't covered in dung. He was obviously doing very well for himself. The miller's daughter looked to her father. Okay, what? Seriously? They had known him for 10 minutes. The father held up a finger, and I said that if any good suitor comes to ask for your hand, I would give you to him. He's rich, therefore he's good, the father said, proceeding to shake the young man's hand. He turned to his daughter. He wanted her to be well married and well provided for in her old age. So that's why he was literally giving her to the first man who popped in and asked for her. She asked her father for a word in private, but he shook his head. Anything she had to say to him, she could say in front of the stranger who just walked into their mill. Or should he say, son? The newly minted bridegroom smiled, but the woman grabbed her father's hand and wrenched him up from the chair. When they were on the other side of the mill, the daughter said that this guy gave her a bad feeling. The words secret horror came to mind and then stuck there because they were terrifyingly appropriate. The guy made her skin crawl. Case in point. She turned and yelled to the stranger. Where did he live? By myself in the dark forest, he replied. The woman arched her eyebrows and looked at her dad. In the dark forest. How many rich guys live in a shack in the dark forest? Come on. Her dad sneered. Nope. Foot down. She was already getting too old to marry. She was going to be 17 next month. This was happening. With open arms, he returned to the bridegroom. It was a done deal. And he wanted the stranger to know just how excited his daughter was and how not filled with secret horror she was every time she looked at him. The bridegroom hugged the miller, saying that he was so excited to marry his beautiful daughter as soon as possible. But as soon as possible wasn't all that soon. Not if the daughter had anything to say about it. I mean, 
she didn't officially have anything to say about it, she couldn't, but she could find ways to stall it, hide the dowry, or be away with friends every time the stranger stopped in. Months passed, and the stranger, who popped in the mill to lurk around his betrothed, said that she still hadn't come out to visit him. In the dark forest, the bridegroom said that she could meet all of his friends this weekend. He was having some people out. He would leave a trail of ash through the forest to his house. Took most of the day to walk there, so he'd see her, I don't know, about five. The bride was about to open her mouth when dad jumped in. She'd love to. She'd be there. After the bridegroom left, the miller turned to his daughter. This wedding was happening. He was a good man who had already put up with more stalling than most would have. This was unacceptable. She would go out to see him, and the following day, they would be married. Period. The bride looked down inside. A trail of ash. This was great for shoes and clothes. She looked back, and her father was standing at the mouth of the dark forest. She waved, but he remained unmoved. She sighed and walked until he was out of sight. The only thing she had managed to grab that morning were a handful of peas and lentils. The bridegroom had said something about finger food, but her dad let her take a snack for the road. And he didn't know just how much it was for the road, because every few feet, she dropped a pea or lentil. If things went south with this massive creep she was engaged to, then she would need to find her way back out of the dark forest without him. She knew an edible trail wasn't always the best idea, I mean, she knew she ran the risk of getting hanseled, but it was all she had. The bride walked and walked and walked. The bridegroom wasn't kidding when he said it took most of the day. What was his game plan for getting her home on time? And that was her last thought before rounding the bend in the trail and seeing the house. It was at the center of the forest where things were the darkest that she saw the house. Her feet hurt and she was exhausted from the walk but for a moment she thought of turning back. The place was oppressively still and quiet. Not even a bird chirped in the trees. It was dismal, stagnant. She swallowed hard and dropped the last of the peas and lentils. She was here. This is probably okay, the bride said to herself as she knocked on the door and it creaked open, revealing a dark home. Hello? Unnamed bridegroom? It's me, unnamed bride. I followed the ash, I'm here for the party or something? But no one answered. As she stood there, her eyes adjusted to the darkness, and she saw that the house was just as dismal and oppressively still as it had been on the outside. If you're thinking that going to a guy's house in the middle of the dark forest a guy who has always made your skin crawl from a sense of deep-seated horror that you got every time you looked at or thought of him, that that might be a bad idea and she should get out of there as fast as she can? Well, that's about to be confirmed. The bride jumped when she heard a voice from the darkness. Turn back, turn back, young maiden dear. Tis a murderer's house you enter here. She gasped. And after the second repetition, she saw that it was just coming from a bird's cage hanging on the wall. It was just a parrot telling her that she was in the creepy house of a murderer. Get out now. No big deal. So, of course, she descended to the basement. Now, okay, this is a hard action to swallow. But maybe, just maybe, 
she had to know. Maybe she was looking for confirmation that, one, it was her fiancé's house, and two, he was a murderer. If she could bring that confirmation back to her father, maybe she could get out of the marriage. I mean, we don't get any of this internal thought, but I think that one bit of motivation turns a profoundly stupid character choice that exists only to advance the plot into kind of a brave choice, where the bride is taking back her own life and saving herself. The basement was stacked with casks and barrels and boxes, and sneaking her way through the darkness, she looked for some piece of proof that her betrothed was a monster. From the back of the cellar, in the fireplace, there was the soft glow of a flame. When the miller's daughter found the flame, she nearly screamed at the face that looked back at her. It was an elderly woman, sitting there in the light of the fire she had built, staring off into nothing, just shaking her head. The bride started to back up, but willed herself forward. She had to know, was this the house of her betrothed? As if out of a trance, the woman stopped shaking her head. She looked up at the miller's daughter. Oh no, she was the one, huh? She shouldn't be here, not tonight, of all nights. Poor child. The old woman confirmed it. The bridegroom lived here, but he was so much worse than she could imagine. The miller's daughter said that her fiancé was a murderer who lived in the middle of the dark forest. How much worse could it be? The old woman pointed a crooked finger to the pot on the fire, at the wooden table with deep cuts and dark crimson stains. That's what awaited the miller's daughter if she married him. The miller's daughter gasped and staggered backwards. They had to go. The old woman shook her head. This was his domain. He knew this forest. She couldn't run from him. Not here. Not yet. Then a creak came from above. The floor itself groaned under the weight of boots. The woman pursed her lips. Their home, the old woman managed. The miller's daughter started to tremble herself. Wait, they? There was a cacophony of laughter, yelling and talking from the staircase to the cellar. There was one, though, that was out of place among the merriment. A sobbing. The miller's daughter dared to look. She snapped back into hiding, catching the eye of the old woman, who only shook her head. Not. A. Word. The miller's daughter saw her bridegroom, her own fiancé, leading another woman to the far side of the cellar. The bridegroom was grinning a wide, drunk grin. All of his friends, a half dozen in total, were grinning too. The girl was weeping. When she got close to the glow of the fire, her ripped traveling clothes and bruised face became apparent. Old woman, the bridegroom yelled. Wine, we need wine, old woman. Ah, where is she? I never know what she's doing back there. The miller's daughter looked over to the old woman who finished uncorking a third bottle of wine. Right before the old woman stepped out of the shadows, the miller's daughter thought she saw the old woman put something in one of the bottles. Faster next time, or you'll be punished again, the bridegroom said, and then gestured behind him. Sit. Then he paused. What are you doing in a chair? Floor, now. The old woman bowed her head 
and struggled down to the floor. Back to the young woman they had on the table, the bridegroom told his friends to sit her up. He didn't like the crying. This would make it easier. He forced the bottle into her hands and then he kept pushing it up as she drank. He did the same thing with bottles two and three. The old woman's gaze zeroed in on the third. When the young woman drank it, the old woman breathed. Seconds after the third bottle was empty, the young woman on the table began to sway. Her eyes rolled, and she dropped backward, her head knocking on the wood. The bridegroom sighed, wake her up. He liked him to be awake. His friend tried to get the girl up, but she wouldn't rouse. They shook her. Nothing. She was dead. Seriously, the bridegroom said, slamming his fists down on the table. Well, whatever. He got his knives. The miller's daughter looked away, pressing her back to the cask she hid behind and jamming her fingers into her ears. She was only roused from her self-imposed sensory deprivation when something landed in her lap. She had to force back a vomit-soaked scream when she saw the ringed finger that had plopped down on her dress. Oh, oh, and now she just got it. Finger foods. Yuck. Hey, anyone see where that finger went? Had a cool ring on it? Looked expensive? She heard. Oh, I think it went behind that cask. Old woman, where are the drinks? A voice answered. The miller's daughter's eyes widened, but then another voice spoke up. Here are the drinks, here are the drinks, the old woman said. Also, did the bandit really want to go groping in the dark? It wasn't like the finger was going to run off anywhere, it was just a severed finger. He would have better luck in the light of the morning. The miller's daughter heard the slap of a hand on a back. This is why we hire wise old crones, one of the men said. And by hire them, I mean press them into service under threat of death before eating them. The men laughed. They were so smart. Patting themselves on the back, they guzzled the wine she had poured for them completely out of their view. A few minutes later, all the miller's daughter heard was snoring. Get up, she heard as the little old woman lifted her by the arm. Get up and don't look back. Wow the old woman said, looking at the path. That is a freebie. The bridegroom often led women to his house with ash. When the wind kicked up, it would carry off the trail back home with it. The woman would be stranded in the dark forest, trapped there by its Byzantine paths. That is, unless they had lentils and peas. You see, in the roughly, I don't know, three to 10 hours since the miller's daughter had dropped them, they had all taken root, and seedlings now poked from the ground. In the moonlight, the miller's daughter and the crone found their way back home to the daughter's glowing house. When they did, they both collapsed in her bed. Up, get up and clean yourself, the miller said to his daughter. It's your wedding day. The daughter sputtered that she had been in the bridegroom's house. They were killers, cannibals. The father pursed his lips. Oh, okay, well, that's not what he said. The daughter's face became grave. He? The father nodded and glanced toward the outer room. Yeah, 
the bridegroom and his groomsmen are here. The bridegroom mentioned that she had never made it out yesterday. He was relieved to hear that she was safe. So it was obvious. The girl had walked around the forest all day and made up some story slandering a good man. A man who would be her husband today, no matter what. Get ready. The miller's daughter looked down at her bed to where the old woman had been sleeping. She had likely vanished in the early hours of the morning. The miller's daughter didn't blame her for wanting to put as many miles between herself and the house as possible. The bridegroom could follow her here. The bridegroom had followed her here. Now, she was forced to marry him. She would be the woman on the table. Then, the miller's daughter looked down at her dress. Unless... bride sat still and said nothing as the bridegroom chatted with her friends and family. His friends were there as well, everyone that had been in that cellar. The ceremony was in a bit. They were just waiting on the minister. Now, though, they were taking turns telling stories and talking around the table. The bride-to-be shuddered as her betrothed squeezed her shoulder. Come on, sweetheart, tell us a story like the others. My friends want to get to know you. I mean, do you even know anything? The miller's daughter rose. A story? Okay. How about a dream? The whole room nodded collectively. Cool, cool, yep. That's what everyone loved. Hearing strangers' weird dreams. How far away is the minister? Very? Fun. The miller's daughter paced the room, telling of a trip through the dark forest. Of finding a house. The house of a bridegroom, actually. It was all a dream. Don't worry about it, honey. In the house was a strange old lady who warned her, but she didn't get out in time. She watched them, in her dream, because it was only a dream, of course, murder a girl, slaughter her, and eat her. She almost screamed when a finger landed on her lap, and the bridegroom's chair scraped the floor. He was glaring at the miller's daughter. You know, she always acted like she was better than him. Now, what was she doing, spreading lies? Well, today she left her father and she became his. It was already done. Her father had agreed to it. She should be very careful about what she said next, because she was going home with him tonight. The miller's daughter smiled as her pacing finished right next to her father. She shrugged. She said it was just a dream. She pulled something from the pocket of her dress and placed it on the table before her father. Or was it? Her father picked up the finger, the one that had landed in her lap, the night before, and he looked at the ring that was still attached to it. His jaw dropped. He looked to his daughter. He was sorry. He was sorry he didn't believe her. That he didn't take into account what she wanted when picking her husband. Then, he turned to the bridegroom. You. The bridegroom smirked. Well, this had been fun. He and his friends would be leaving now. I don't know, he just didn't think this relationship was going to work out. It's not you, it's me sort of thing. Anyway, she or anybody else shouldn't come running after him saying they're sorry. The forest was big. People got lost in it. All the time. It was tragic. Chairs scraped the floor all over as the miller's family rose to stand in front of the door. The bridegroom laughed. If they actually believed her ridiculous story, then was this a great idea? 
people capable of the horrible things she'd mentioned? Were these the type of people they really wanted to confront in some misguided last stand? Because yeah, it would be a last stand. Then, a knock at the door. The bridegroom sighed. Great, the minister. One more person he would have to kill today. He threw open the door, and he found himself looking into the wizened face of the old woman, his former servant. She grinned. Hey, she was here for a wedding? She looked back to the bride. She forgot to RSVP. Sorry. Could she get a, I don't know, plus 20? She wanted to bring some friends. Before anyone knew what was happening, the king's men, the guards that she had spent all morning finding and convincing to come apprehend a serial killer, crashed in from either side of the door, subduing the bridegroom and his friends. They were executed for their crimes. And I like to think that the old woman moved in with the miller and his daughter. And when the next suitor came knocking, the daughter got to decide who she would spend the rest of her life with. Because that has to happen, right? For this to have any semblance of a happy ending. I mean, it kind of seems like a happy ending until you realize that the robber bridegroom, that that name is really underselling his crimes, is only a symptom of the real problem. The problem where the miller's daughter was simply passed off to this guy without any say in what happens in her own life. And at the end of the story, that real problem is still firmly in place. And yeah, the robber bridegroom is dead, but it took an 11th hour change in the father's mind, brought about by his daughter needing to put a severed finger in front of him to say that she was right all along. So unfortunately, I'm not holding out too much hope for next time around. And yeah, I just turned a happy ending into yet another super sad one. Happy holidays. Speaking of happy holidays, next week is the wonderful, crazy, deranged original story of The Nutcracker. Published in 1816, only four years after today's story, it is the inspiration for the inspiration for the popular ballet. But it is wildly different from the popular ballet. Basically, if you were hoping that Toy Story had more toys fighting for their lives while being slowly dismembered by mice, you'll enjoy next week's episode. If you'd like to support the show beyond telling a friend or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, there's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of, no joke, three sprigs of mistletoe, and that's buying in bulk, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that people will not use to make guests uncomfortable at parties. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Roperite, a fearsome critter from the American Southwest. Fearsome critters are the creatures that lumberjacks talked about in their camps in the 1800s, the Roperite, uh, it's a bit of a show-off. It's like the combination of a rattlesnake, jackrabbit, and roadrunner. It's like a rattlesnake, but oh, the rattlesnake just has a rattle at the end of its tail? That's cute. The Roperite's tail is all rattles. It has the fur and speed of a jackrabbit and the body shape and wings of a roadrunner. But the Roperite would like everyone to know that even on the Roperite's worst day, it can catch up with the roadrunner and trample it like the nothing that it is. And if the Roperite's feeling nice, it will just literally kick the Roadrunner to the curb. I don't know why the Roperite is so bitter toward the Roadrunner, 
Maybe it's because the rope right lost out to the Roadrunner on its opportunity for a cartoon franchise. But everywhere I found the rope right mentioned, it also mentioned that the rope right enjoyed kicking some Roadrunners. And that's not even to eat them either. It's vengeful and wasteful. When it comes to eating, on the tip of its beak, the rope right has more beak, a lot more beak. Its beak extends out and becomes floppy like a rope. And it naturally comes to a lasso-like loop. The rope right, not passing on any chance to take a fast animal down a peg, will hunt jackrabbits by catching up to them, lassoing them, and then dragging them through thorn bushes until they're dead. Though if it feels threatened, it will go after pretty much anything, up to and including humans. It's said that nothing can outrun them, and no obstacle can slow them down. Honestly, it just sounds like the rope right writes its own bio, with its ugly little dodo wings. People wonder if this human-sized creature with a giant-sized ego is extinct. I personally wonder if it enjoys eating thorns with every meal, because why would you drag anything you want to eat through a thorn bush, especially if you don't have fingers to pick out the thorns? And also, great. I just realized that after this segment, I can never go jogging in the American Southwest because a narcissistic bird has it out for me. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. I want to say thanks again to Simply Safe for sponsoring us this week. Simply Safe is my choice for home security. It is comprehensive, professional home security at a fair price. And right now is the best time of year to get a Simply Safe security system. My listeners get a free security camera, plus a huge discount on your security system. Visit simplysafe.com/legends to get a free camera, plus Simply Safe's holiday savings. This offer is for a limited time only, and it's ending soon. Visit simplysafe.com/legends today. That's simplysafe.com slash legends. All right. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Hold up. 